Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 96 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Jason Velas about his collaborative referral network, One Law, the underappreciated value of referrals, and the cool technology powering One Law's app, DocuBot. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists and its smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Zero. Beautiful legal accounting, simplified. Find out more at zero.com. That's xero.com. So, Sam, in anticipation of our interview with Jason in a minute, where you talk with him about some of his cool technology tools, I thought it might be interesting to revisit the conversation we've been having in a few different podcast episodes about whether lawyers should build their own technology tools and If not, how do small firms acquire innovative technology solutions for their practices? One of the things I think that's interesting about what Jason is pursuing that kind of runs counter to some of the conversations we've been having where we've been debating, should lawyers learn to code to build their own stuff or should lawyers hire software developers um, who are professionals is he's got a hybrid solution where He's bringing together multiple lawyers and law firms to collaborate together to have a, some joint venture technology solutions. And maybe that's an interesting model for small firms. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's w- definitely one way to do it. And, you know, when you, when you pool resources, you can do more. The typical solo or even small firm, you know, I'm not sure how you find the resources to develop your own technology. I mean, that's what OneLaw is doing. They're they're building bots and they're building apps and things like that and they're they're doing that with developers who they pay. When you're when you're just solo, how do you do that, especially if there's an open question of whether or not it's even worth you learning how to do it yourself. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. I think I think there are lots of tools out there and lawyers need to get better at using what exists, but there isn't just an easy like click here and and get a legal solution for lawyers to sell to clients. Right. And and certainly there are legal technology companies, software companies that are developing cool stuff all the time, but they're doing it with a product and profit motive where they're trying to um, sell stuff to lawyers. And it seems like some lawyers are kind of taking the approach of, I want to counter that by taking it into my own hands and building it myself. And and what I think is interesting about what Jason's doing is um, he's potentially putting forward a third solution, which is to the extent lawyers can collaborate together in some sort of pooled network There's the opportunity where a solo spending their own resources to solve their own problem probably doesn't make sense, but a dozen or a hundred solo and small firms working together on a solution potentially creates the same or even more resources as a tech startup while still um, building products for them to use themselves to solve their own problems rather than waiting for some disruptive 
startup to try to sell them something. Yeah, I mean, it, let's say I'm a solo or small firm and I've identified like there is a technology solution for this type of legal issue and I want to be able to offer it to my clients. I think your options are figure out how to build it yourself, um, figure out how to bring somebody onto your team, whether it's by paying them or offering them some kind of an incentive to build this thing who is competent to build software. Or I think you have to join up with somebody else and pool resources. Uh, maybe you can find the tools and string them together with Zapier and Google Docs and Clio or my case or whatever. Maybe you can string all that stuff together. But otherwise, if you want to build those solutions, I think you've got to come at it with it from a different angle. And I think you'll you'll hear today that the one law model is a kind of an interesting way to do it because if you have a hundred plus lawyers who are all affiliated in some way, you can say, look, we want to build this app. Who's in? And everybody who wants in can pitch in. And now you've got an actual pool of money to do it. So you're, you're not out tens of thousands of dollars for your own development. On a different note, we got to know Jason at TBD Law. And I think it's worth noting that there are still a couple of weeks left for um, people to apply to join us for the upcoming February TBD Law, where hopefully folks like Jason will be doing similar stuff again. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty neat to see the hack session in particular was such a showstopper at our first TVD Law. I'm really excited to see what people come up with this time. Um, and I, I think Jason may even be there again, which would be cool. Having said that, here's my conversation with Jason, which I think you'll find interesting. Hi, I'm Jason Velez, uh, practicing attorney for, I guess, coming up on 16 years. I have worked uh, in a wide range of the, the law from uh, poverty law to uh, corporate and then settled into a uh, small solo firm environment for the last 10 years and have uh, built some technology along the way. I uh, enjoy helping. I think that there are uh, two types of lawyers, uh, those that go into the practice for a job and those that are born into it. And I like to consider myself falling into the latter category. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Jason. Uh, and I guess bears mentioning you were, uh, you and Tyler, your, your uh, co co-founder, partner? Yeah, partner and founder, co-founder. All right. Uh, uh, we're both at TBD Law, where you are really uh, interesting to get to know. And so that's why I want to put you on our podcast today to talk about your firm, which starts out having uh, the interesting name of One Law. But why, why don't you give me the background? Like, how did you come to start One Law? And then we'll talk about what it's all about. Yeah. So, well, thank you, uh, Sam and uh, lawyers for having me. And so I guess that the background it was basically, uh, as I mentioned, you know, practicing for about 16 years, uh, about the middle of my practice, about six, seven years into the practice, I went to work for a, a large uh, TV firm, a PI mill, that maybe some people type, you know, may call it. And I was working there for about three years when I, I hit, uh, whether it's the, the drywall ceiling, the acoustic ceiling, but uh, uh, bottom line, there was a disagreement over what I thought I was worth and, and what they thought I was worth. And so they, they showed me the door and I found myself uh, having closed a solo practice that was providing for me and my family uh, to make the jump to this uh, opportunity with the, the personal injury firm. So I basically, you know, next day I had no clients. 
Um, I had closed my practice, so to speak. You know, I had still had my uh, corporate entity alive. And so basically what I did was I dusted off that solo practice and I got an opportunity to essentially start over again. But with the, you know, let's say at that point, nine years of understanding of practicing. And so I, uh, basically, uh, took the uh, business number I had, which we'll, we'll segue here in a minute, but the business number I had was a six, three, four, one, five, two, nine and one, five, two, nine equals one law. <laughs> and so I had, uh, reestablished Established that business line and some then went out to get some business cards and uh, a senior attorney uh, saw my business card and basically said, I like that one law. Yeah. And so I went from uh, a Jason Vela's PC to a Jason Vela's PC DBA one law. Gotcha. And so the, the one law, um, it, a little bit, it's, it's a Wait, brand. Hold on. What's the A? Oh, the A Antonio. Uh, okay. <laughs> or as my wife says, her Latin lover. Gotcha. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, uh, so AJ's and Bella's PC, DBA one law. And, and that actually is the, the structure of our, our current law firm is Labrum Todd Park Velez, DBA one law. So one law you can consider a, uh, a umbrella brand. And so it's kind of, it, it you know, it's a little bit uh, unusual or non-traditional, but uh, it's a bit of an icebreaker. You know, you yeah. can say you work for Smith and Velez, but you say one law. People, what was that? What's one law? And so now you've you've broken the ice. It's a little more memorable. And um, but bottom line, from the activating that phone number one five two nine to the input to a uh, senior attorney, uh, and then I guess the the real curveball was the fact that in 2010, we were still economically a little soft in the States, and so a, a kind gentleman out of Singapore sold me the domain for what he felt was a unreasonably low price, but due to economic conditions in the US, he would accept it. So bottom line, <laughs> I grabbed the domain, and and here we are in, uh, you know, getting close to 2017. I guess we just celebrated our sixth anniversary of one law. Very cool. So it's it's a law firm, but I see on your website you also talk about having a network of 150 attorneys. So t tell me what's the relationship between the nine people I see on your attorney page and the 150 attorneys in the network? So the, the relationship is if you can imagine a window sticker and the window sticker would say one law and you could have the window sticker be a three by five uh, inch type of sticker that's there next to your we accept Visa MasterCard. Or if you come to our office, you'll see a four foot by three foot one law over the receptionist. And so uh, it's an affiliation, if you would, of hopefully like minded attorneys. My, my big premise, I got into the law to help people. And I sincerely believe most lawyers, probably I would say, I'd like to even say all lawyers had that idea. They, everybody wants to make a living, but we thought we'd be able to help people. Some people you feel maybe more on the change the world scale than, than others. But the idea is like-minded attorneys that were looking for a little bit of a different identity. You, you get to keep your Jason Vela's PC, but at the same time, you can use the icebreaker of the one law. You can have that letterhead or that uh, window sticker as large or small as you like. And so that's that's the the network of attorneys are geographically based uh, attorneys that that are, are essentially following the a similar philosophy, if you would. The idea is you've got to be obviously an attorney in good standing. We like to have some referrals from practitioners in your marketplace. So we know that, you know, people like to do business with you. And, and beyond that, it's, you know, as with everything, the client is the, the boss and can ultimately choose who they hire. But uh, the idea is 
that there there are attorneys in other practice areas for cross referrals uh, for areas of expertise that we may not have. You know, it, any you know, the longer you practice, so, it, law, so am I right to describe it as kind of a branded referral network? Uh, you know, a branded a uh, I, I like to call it. I mean, a, a fi- affiliation is, is what I, I like to call it um, because it doesn't it's does not require that you refer. There's, there's not an obligation to refer, but the idea is that there's an opportunity to refer and then there's a, an opportunity to, to distinguish yourself in the marketplace. So I guess I would say it's, it's I would just say it's a, a branded, uh, affiliation network. I don't you know if you, you can help me. You know, it's not, <laughs> well, it's so not, what, well, what I'm curious about too is, so if somebody, if somebody joins the network, I assume there's a process for coming on board, then, um, do is there are you paying referral fees back and forth or besides affiliating themselves with the brand what else do they get out of it um so they would they get the uh, the ability to refer i'm not interested in governing how attorneys run their practice so and so even even between attorneys in the network as as you would say so anything any referral fees are going to be based between the parties. Mm. It's not something that, that that I govern. What I'm I'm trying to do is, I guess, what I'm doing is marketing the brand. So I did a, I call it the the big game uh, marketing approach. And I, you know, whether that's the the Super Bowl or another big game, um, the idea is that you know, for the big game, a national ad, we'll just use round numbers, costs a million dollars. A local ad costs fifty thousand dollars. Well, if you have, uh, you know, enough local people to, to, you can now buy a national ad. And so you have the, the, instead of having a local ad with the local production quality and whatnot, you, you contribute less, 25000 to a national spend. And now you've marketed throughout the whole United States. And it's basically national strength local care. So you are make those decisions about marketing or you ask people to kick in money or is there a membership fee? So the the mar- marketing is a, a co-op type of situation. So you would, you know, if you want to participate in the marketing there there is a fee to that. Um, I make the the marketing decisions and so the the the, the membership is basically the, the membership is nominal on the 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 entry level Mm. but the marketing participation is where the spend would come if that makes sense so the the membership is is not i'm not looking to make it on subscriptions i'm trying to say hey if you want to grow in a particular area here's a campaign you can be involved in Hmm. And and then you'll buy if they contribute you'll you'll buy marketing in their area correct correct or or what we like to say is activate in their area Gotcha. You uh, you mentioned when we were talking before the show about the value of referrals, um, and I, I think I'm starting to see kind of what more you what you mean about that. But tell me more. Sure. So um, you know, it, as TBD, and again, you know, that was an awesome for the listeners. You know, uh, I you've got the Jason Vela's endorsement of oh, thanks um, <laughs> going going and uh, participating and and really getting uh, a view of what the practice of law is outside of where you live. It, it was it was a great experience to to meet with. Uh, I consider them uh, comrades, and you know, just it's it's a it, you know, it, it, solo practice is, is not easy, and I get it. And TBD gave a lot of hope for, uh, you know, people looking, you know, to the next 20 years or 50 years of their practice, depending on how old they are. Uh, <laughs> but, 
the, my, maybe this is my, my giveaway, if you would, or my, my two, two bits that I do feel that the, the legal market, especially solo and small firms don't, uh, maybe fully appreciate, but personal injury referrals, you, you don't have to be a, a personal injury expert to intake a personal injury case and either co-counsel, associate counsel, or in some states, I believe you're allowed a direct referral to a uh, personal injury firm. And so I believe that a lot of solos, uh, they'll get a call on a personal injury or even one of their clients, and they don't always know where to send them. And uh, like any other uh, area of the, the legal market, it's all negotiable. So I would suggest it's for, and this is part of the one law philosophy, is to provide a personal injury lawyer or for attorneys to get to know more than one personal injury lawyer. You want to know, you know, what relationships, you know, you can forge, what uh, association fees they're willing to, to share, how much do you want to be involved in the case. Um, but there, if you look around your market, and they're, they're rarely the firms that are advertising on TV. You generally would be a boutique personal injury firm uh, that understands uh, that, hey, we're willing to pay in some cases, I mean, this, don't use this as a, a rule, but mm-hmm. I would say up to, up to 50%, you know, depending on your involvement and depending on the case. And I, I believe that that is uh, hopefully a way uh, some of your listeners and some of these solos can, can leverage their relationships because that, that does exist unless there's a, a state that has an absolute uh, uh, prohibition on any type of association or referral, you should be able to uh, refer the case to a competent personal injury practitioner, maintain an involvement, possibly even maintain the lead on the case until litigation, be that point person with your cli- your client, and uh, it's a you know a nice payday for people. Well, so here's here's always been my hesitation about it is in in my state at least in Minnesota, uh, in order to, pay, to get a referral fee, you have to be uh, co counsel basically. And lots of personal injury lawyers are willing to make you co-counsel in name, but you don't actually do anything on the case. And potentially you run into questions about there about the, uh, the, the proportionality, the fairness of the size of your fee. But m- more than that, I, I just didn't really want to keep any responsibility for the case. I, was, I, I didn't want the malpractice liability exposure for actually staying on the case. And I'm, I'm wondering, is that particular to my state or is that a real thing or am I just over dramatizing the potential exposure from doing that referral arrangement? Well, I would say uh, know that you uh, that, that is not uh, unique to your state and know that is not a uh, an actual concern. What okay. I would say to that is any personal injury lawyer uh, worth their salt is also aware of that. Yeah. And, and you know, so statute of limitations, that's probably the number one <laughs> zinger in personal injury and you, 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 I would just say to any personal injury lawyer, you know, hey, what's you know, do you track your statute of limitations? How often do you check them? We check them once a year in our office. Go through every file, and they have to be hand touched mm-hmm. to identify the police report or the uh, you know originating document on a case to say when the the appropriate statute date is. Um, but the exposure issues, one on malpractice, if you're only doing a personal injury case every couple of years, you're, you're below even one percent of your your gross or your caseload. And so it's not going to impact your malpractice insurance. Um, and secondarily, uh, the, the person with the associating attorney, I would make sure that they have 
uh, proper insurance as well. And so it, those are just, they're little educational points. And mm-hmm. that's part of what we do uh, in being in the, the one law family, so to speak, is making sure that the comfort level for someone like yourself is there. So you, you know, hey, I have these concerns. Are they addressed? And the proportionality issue goes back to I personally, when I started out, even though I, I, you know, there's some cases I didn't, I took, but I did not, I associated almost immediately because of the scope of the case, too many plaintiffs, uh, the, the value was too great. And, but what I did was I quarterback the case, so to speak. I was the point of contact for the client. I knew uh, enough of personal injury, and it's not that complicated. We're talking about medical records, bills, uh, police reports to, to be, to be involved. The nuances, the expertise that's provided by these skilled personal injury practitioners is is the difficult part. And but but being participating in a case is not as difficult uh, as you would think. You know, going to a deposition, uh, participating in the interrogatory process. I mean, th- there are ways that are are very uh, d- just bread and butter, cut and dry to to participate. And to maintain, because in Utah, there is that association. Utah is not a direct referral state. California is. Um, but in Utah, it is a, uh, you know, a quantum, quantum Merowit or however you want to describe it as far as you have to add value, <laughs> yeah. value to the case. So, uh, we're going to take about two minutes for our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk about another aspect of one law, which we haven't really touched on, but is really interesting. And you have, well, one law and you have been working on some interesting ways to use technology to get more out of law practice, uh, including working with Watson, IBM's famous Watson AI. Um, So we're going to take two minutes and when we come back, I want to talk more about that. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Billable hours are the lifeblood of a successful law practice. Problem is, you still have to bill those hours. Even if your law firm has an accountant... Tracking hours, clients, rates, preparing invoices, and collecting on those invoices is time you never get paid for. And writing notes to yourself in court or on the road is inefficient and error-prone. Run your legal practice better with cloud accounting software and see why over 600,000 small businesses love Xero, including Lawyerist. Get a free trial at Xero.com. That's X-E-R-O dot com. Beautiful accounting software. Okay, we're back. And Jason, so tell me, where did the tech uh, experiments come from? Give me the background on how you started branching out. Because so far, you've described a a sort of a, I called it a branded referral network and affiliation, um, a network of attorneys that are sending cases to each other that are collaborating on marketing. Um, That all sounds pretty interesting, but normal. And then at some point, you started releasing apps and started working with AI. And how did that happen? 
Yeah. Well, cool. I, th- I think you've just hit it on the head there. Collaboration. I, that, that may be, <laughs> uh, I, that, that'd be my, that's my takeaway, Sam. Um, but so how did it start? So I go back to, to 2010, right? The phone number and the senior lawyer. And that was, you know, Facebook was was really starting to, to gain some momentum at that time. And it kind of come from, you know, this communication and funsy thing to where I you know, believe it was a, a true business tool. And, and we've always been uh, very active participants in, in the definitely the Facebook social media and, and working on the others. Um, but what Facebook allowed you to do, it still does in some capacity, but in the early days, I started with a, uh, basically a note on Facebook that said, if you have a legal question, go ahead and ask it. And so that was kind of my, my start of this, you know, there's a, a, n- a number of, uh, dot coms that offer this type of service, but that was the, the for it, that was the, the kind of groundbreaking for the technology. So from that idea that people could virtually interact with the, the brand or the, the lawyer, however we want to look at it. Uh, so it started on Facebook. Then, um, very shortly after, I came to the realization that a simple will is not something that people should be charged for, that that is a, it's almost a, I consider there's certain legal aspects of life that I, I consider almost like a utility, you know, mm-hmm. that people should be able to, to just have access to. So I, uh, started basically building a, a, a machine learning, a logic tree will and learned how hard that was. Yeah. And, and we, you know, and the iterations and I mean, we, you know, so we're going back to like, um, 12, 13, you know, not that that's in, in tech terms, that is kind of a long time ago, but, you know, to have a, you know, a, a website, uh, that back then, I don't think we were on WordPress. We were just a, a regular custom coded website to try to integrate, you know, a tool that allowed you to actually build a, a simple will. And the simple will is not that crazy, but, uh, it was a quite an undertaking. Yeah. And so, so those are my, my first forays, um, some playing around with, uh, early kind of, uh, text, uh, interactions. Uh, th- so those kind of three areas are, are where I'd say the, the genesis came. And so the entire time I've had the, the brand, I wanted what I call a widget and the widget being the tech, because as you identified the, the, the collaboration is fairly normal. It may be a little atypical, but there are, you could select your flavor of collaboration if you want in this day and age. Yeah. I knew it won't, it won't freak anybody out to hear one law described. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) And so, um, then having that, uh, you know, the, the desire for the widget led me and then knowing what I knew about the tech, I thought, Hey, what, where is the space? Where is the space? And I started with on-demand at a very rudimentary, you know, geo-based, uh, hit, hit a geo uh, pin on a map and be able to interact with a lawyer, uh, through video chat and at a good fortune. And this, this was launched. I mean, we basically, I think, uh, we're probably close to the birthday of the tech, you know, it's, it's somewhere in November. I, I made my first and, payment. And we're talking November. about the, we're talking about the one law app right now, which basically lets anybody who has the app talk to a lawyer in the one law network on demand, basically. Yes. Yes. And, and, and more is, is, is we're, we'll, we'll get to Watson, but yes, absolutely. That's, that is a year old, um, launched in, uh, the idea was in the summer of last year, the, the 
coding started in November. And um, so an on-demand product. And I was very fortunate. It's just you know timing. I've heard timing is a, a big deal in, in any new venture. And uh, we use Twilio, which I give a shout out to Twilio. And it's a very powerful uh, uh, developer kits that they have for you. But so they had a programmable video was in beta. And so we launched right into programmable video. Following programmable video, we went into uh, the programmable, or I guess the, the chat, if you would not. We, we, we offer SMS text, but we went right into the chat with attachments. So I went to a conference in February of this year, 2016. I didn't know if I had a thing. I went to the conference to seek validation of the idea. I had a working beta, and it was pr evident pretty quickly that there is a market for what I had. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody was throwing money at me. It just meant that, that there was people saw the, the vision. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I really kind of doubled down on the tech. And we uh, Twilio had their uh, signal conference, I want to say, May. I, I believe it was in May up in San Francisco and went and there. Why don't you back up real quick? What is Twilio? Oh, Twilio is, uh, gosh, I mean, I, Twilio, I mean, in my little... Uh, overview. One, it's stock you should own. Uh, <laughs> two, it is, it's AT&T. So basically, if you, in this day and age of uh, digital communication, Twilio is AT&T. If you're using VoIP internet, they're the, the backbone behind most of that. Gotcha. Um, if you're programmable tech, so they are a switchboard in a simple term for digital communication. Gotcha. Okay. So back to, back to the app. Yep, back to so Twilio. So we made our way to the Twilio conference, um, and uh, and I should mention along the way, uh, I became aware that my app had a very good application in the legal aid world, and you know we may wow. get an opportunity to talk about that. But because a lot of clients in legal aid, uh, fairly routine answers. Most of it is just ask and answer triage type of stuff. Well, why should you have to drive or take a bus or or even make an appointment? If you could just know that between these two hours on a given day or every day between, you know, four and five, there's an attorney available to answer questions. And if you don't get them today, you can ask them tomorrow. So, um, so are legal aid organizations using it? Yes, we are oh, cool. live in uh, yeah live in two states and uh, very. I mean, it's, it's a big push, a huge push of, of what we're we're doing, because I believe if you can solve the justice gap issue that you're going to make one heck of a private market product. Yeah. So. So, but that, you know, that aside, but that absolutely, and legal aids, it's free to legal aids. Um, we do ask if there's a, a ability to write a TIG that we would, if appropriate, we would apply for a TIG and what's, but a, not, what's a TIG? A uh, technology and innovation grant. Gotcha. Um, there, there's lots of federal dollars out there to, to help uh, uh, provide these uh, utility services, if you would. Um, and so, but uh, if the TIG is not granted, they still get the product for free. Cool. You know, so that's that, that's just part of, of the one law philosophy and, and what we do. Um, but so going to Twilio, Twilio Conference, um, met some really cool people up there uh, because we were working with a programmable video and they were really pushing Watson. Hmm. And so the light bulb came on back to my free will and my, my logic tree <laughs> that, hey, this is a way to not only do the, what I was trying to do, but now you can serve it up 
via, you know, we, we use it primarily as a chatbot. We have it as a, a WordPress plugin in the WordPress store and we're on GitHub. Um, so we use it primarily as a chatbot. Uh, it, it is available as an SMS. And then just, uh, I guess we're in beta, but it's super, you know, it's, it's, it's just a uh, flip of a switch on Facebook Messenger hmm. and realizing that what I like to call augmented legal, because it's not just about having a chat bot fill out forms, which is really powerful. And that's something that we have. We have a, an editor to allow you to submit documents to our chat bot, but that's only one piece of the puzzle, right? You know, you still, to do it yourself, you need a certain level of competence and there's going to be the next step that it's do it yourself, but I have a few questions. Yeah. And then there's the people that don't even want to do it themselves. They would just say, Hey, can you do this for me? But, but they don't realize that they've actually lowered their cost because they've done 75% of the process, whether it's intake, whether it's at filling out a questionnaire that allows the attorney to then go forward and finish the, the product or at least have the information that they need to, to build something for mm -hmm. the, the client. Um, so, 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 Watson, what, so how is it? Yeah. What is what working with Watson like to just like plug into it? I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I haven't really explored it. So there, think of Watson as, um, the, the brain and your, the chat is the, 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 the call, right? You're making a, a call to Watson. So Watson is this processor. And so what Watson does really well is handle the, the natural language. So if you have just yes, no stuff, you don't really need Watson. If you have people needing to, dis you need to discern what they said, because yes, no, you can, it's very easy, but mm -hmm. the, the discern what they said, that's where the Watson comes in. And so you basically Watson, you send it. So you'll ask a question, um, who is the person, uh, the will, this is, you're asking of the client, the response is sent to Watson. So Watson can now say, okay, I heard what he said. The person to make the will is Jason Velez. And now Watson can really, you know, turn that into to text. Um, and then Watson can also discern whether what you said, you know, if I say, um, you know, uh, 30 degree west, that's not going to be uh, a typical answer to um, who, who is the person for this. Will oh, so Watson can go, oh, that's not what I was expecting. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's not huh. I didn't I didn't hear you right. Yeah. Um, you know, do you want to try that again? You know, what was that? I didn't get it. You know, it didn't it didn't fit the the criteria. And that's the beauty of machine learning. Mm -hmm. is that that's AI. That's really AI. The, the chatbot experience is awesome, but the learning part of it is the big deal. Knowing that, hey, names, two, three, you know, proper names, maybe four, but starting to get weird things, numbers and, and whatnot. Well, don't right. fit. I, I've read lots of discussions about like, how do you validate a name field in a form, right? And with, with if you subtract machine learning, you have to say, um, well, it, it's going to have a first and a last name, um, and they should both be capitalized, except that's not true. Some people have lowercase their names as a form of protest, for example, in the 60s, that was one form of protest. One of my law school professors, his name is spelled in all lowercase. So you, so you got to throw that out. Also, some places the last name comes before the first name. Um, and in some countries, people typically have many names and in some countries they typically have one. And so like, as soon as you start trying to validate that input, it gets impossible but if you give it to somebody like something like Watson, um, it can you can just feed it all of the proper names that every census in the world knows about. And it's got a pretty decent idea of what might what might validate within that form field. Yes. And, and you can have it learn yeah. from 
from what the inputs it's been, it's, it's have received. So, you know, we haven't put every census name in, but we've, we've got a, a pretty good pool of general names and, but how we solve the, the issue of lowercase or whatnot, you can override because what, what, what our chatbot does is says, is it, I don't know, is that correct? Gotcha. And then you, you, if you say it's correct, it's just going to accept it. Or if you say no, it'll say what part isn't, you know, isn't correct. And, and does so, it also at that point go like sort of take that into account next time so that yes. the next person who enters something similar might not get a, a, a kickback? Yes. Oh, yes. That, that's, that's, that, that's the, the beauty of, of using uh, uh, AI, if you would. And so one thing, though, so for people that aren't familiar with Watson, uh, there is a cost. Um, it's not crazy. Watson is, is pretty economical, I would say, for, for, what, you're, yeah, <laughs> for what you're getting. Um, but there is a cost. And so what we did was instead of having, we, we've now built, our first generation was pretty much exactly as I described to you. Imagine a text message, we're texting Watson, Watson is interpreting and then spitting back the next question or validation of the, uh, the existing answer. And so, but we knew that that would get uh, expensive uh, quickly, you know, on scale when you're, you know, millions of calls, things like that. Um, and so we developed our own hybrid engine now, most of the logic is handled on our end, except for the, the heavy natural lifting, if you would. So, what would, so what are some examples of that? We've talked about like validating names, but that's, that's probably the smaller part of it. So, like what, what other things actually get sent to Watson? Uh, so, the, the big things are going to be like what type of uh, form you're looking for. So the initial query, because some people may say, you know, I want a will, I want a living will, I want, uh, 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 you know, different types of documents. So that, that first initial, hey, this is this is what we're doing. And then uh, things like, um, you know, when you have uh, multiple children and you want to deal with uh, certain uh, distributions, right? You're going to say, hey, I want to leave my uh but was it Patek Philippe or whatever watch to to yeah. Billy? Um, and I don't want uh, Jimmy to get this. So some of the you know the more sophisticated uh, language within the a will, if you would, or say instructions um, on a uh, corporate organization or or things of that nature. But the the basic stuff, like I said, names. Um, addresses, things that, that you're, you're able to, to really isolate that they should fit within certain parameters. That's what we're, we're, we've now pulled from Watson to allow it to really take the, the you want to say maybe the, the free form uh, text, you know, just a, a, gotcha. a text field, the, the bigger text fields. And we might say, let's say over, you know, six, seven words, something like that. But really what it, so I, good. So from, from listening to you, I'm assuming that Watson is basically available as an API and you can just send it things and it sends back responses? Yeah. Um, if you go to our uh, our site, we've got, uh, let me see, it's uh, one law. And, w- and we'll obviously link to this on our yeah. on our show notes. Cool. The onelaw.com uh, forward slash intro uh, hyphen docubot. It kind of discusses how the, the flow of the, uh, you know, the flow to Watson, but, um, in, in essentially it's a call. So it is, you know, it is an API, you know, that is, um, you know, whether it's an API or a little bit different, but that's essentially what you're doing. And, and you go in and deliver up to Watson what you're, you're telling it, Hey, here's what I'm sending you. Yeah. And then I want, this is what I want back more or less. And, uh, cool. yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's, it, no, it's awesome. I mean, I was, uh, going down a path and, and I still may because I, I'm 
that intrigued by by this. And I know I'll say this for the the skunk works, but I, I'm very interested in in how AI can again augment the practice of law. This isn't a replacement. Yeah. You know, this is a uh, this is a tool. This is something that can make your practice better. And so yeah, so yeah. You you mentioned that there is a cost. Are you willing to share what the cost is? Because I I bet people are curious. Oh, the cost to use Watson. Yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, I assume it's like per query. Yeah, or something yeah. Like I, that. I want. I want to say so. So generally speaking, um, we've got a when. So when we started, a simple will or a, uh, a, a form letter or things like that were costing us about uh, seventy five cents on the Watson end. To give you an idea. To, to, gotcha. to build that, we're, we're down now uh, below 50 cents and probably going to see it land in about 40 cents. So it's really based on, you know, I'm just trying to think a simple will. I mean, you've got your name, your address, you've got spouse. I mean, there's quite a few, quite a bit of information. I'd say you're probably looking at maybe 70-ish queries, you know, something like that. And so, you know, it's it's somewhere in the 5 to 10 cents, you know, yeah. a hit type of thing. So. So let me find kind of by way of um, segueing to a close here. Um, but how how are you doing all of this? Because I I think part of what has to happen um, for lawyers who want to get involved in tech is they have to figure out how to get it done. Um, because there isn't just you can't necessarily just go out there and 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 patch something into your practice, which is exactly why you're doing this. Because you've got a network of people who you can go to and say, hey, this is an awesome thing. Let's do it. And you can, they're essentially investing in it. But the typical solo or small firm lawyer is going to have a hard time doing that. But uh, so I'd like to talk about how, how are you getting it done? And maybe, maybe those others who are interested then can take lessons from that. I didn't really say it in my, my lead in. So studied in South America, graduated. I hooked up with a consulting firm. I did political science. Hooked up with a consulting firm, sent me back to South America. A bunch of engineers were getting kicked off of jobs because they were too a little bit American cowboy. So bottom line, a poli sci guy with a little computer background. I spent three years traveling the the globe as kind of a, a network engineer, you know, poli sci mm-hmm. guy turned network engineer and a little bit of experience with uh, SQL databases. So I have a rudimentary background in, in code and in, in getting there. So what I do is um, I start out on a whiteboard and just a dry erase board and you draw pictures with text of what you think it will look like. And this is probably the biggest takeaway for anybody wanting to get into tech. You don't want to call up a developer and say, hey, I want you to build me a on-demand uh, app. Yeah. You want to tell them, I've got an idea for an app. You're going to come into the app and it's going to look like this. And from there, this button does that. The more you can do that. So I laid out version one or whatever, 0.01, the, the, the crudest MVP mm-hmm. I had I had built. So I took it from a whiteboard. Two iterations on a whiteboard. So I did two sessions, large sessions on a whiteboard, moved it to Word and drew little boxes with pictures in it and then breakout boxes for the text. And then I then I shopped developers, which is a huge part of the process. So and where do you go to shop developers? Um, you know, so you, you, you identify what you're looking for. So you can go to the, you know, first you go to the app store and see if there's anything out there. And I'd recommend that to anybody, the app store or Google, you, what products are out there. Um, and then, um, I started out, I did threefold. I did one, uh, pretty well-respected, uh, you know, I'm in Southern California, so I've got some good resources, but Irvine is fairly close to me. They were a kind of a high profile firm. 
I looked uh, to outsource. And so I did took a bid from uh, a company overseas. And then I talked to um, some people that were in, uh, you know, that had provided me uh, tech support in the past. So I said, one, I just went out and searched the marketplace here locally. One, I searched the marketplace abroad. And then finally, I asked people that I felt would have some level of expertise. So you actually engaged in kind of a, you did a bunch of research and then you did an actual like hiring process. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, because, because at that time I knew what I was asking for. Yeah. I was able to take them after some NDAs, of course, and I was able to take them, um, the, what I was looking for. And then get their feedback. And again, I have a rudimentary understanding. So if they were kind of talking, if I couldn't understand what they were telling me, I felt that maybe uh, there was a little too much uh, uh, magic behind the curtain. <laughs> but if, 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 if I could understand, you know, again, I don't necessarily know how to, to, you know, take it from a blank page. Well, that's a really good point. Like lots of lawyers are impressed by people who say things they can't understand. But I, I don't remember who said it, but... Um, if, if, if you don't truly understand something unless you can explain it to people who aren't as expert as you are. So that seems like a pretty good lit, litmus test. Yeah. And, and, and along those lines, one thing I would share to the, the listeners that want to build uh, any type of tech or even applying certain tech just to their, you know, website is tech. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've learned, you know, speed is important. So if somebody can, can meet their delivery deadlines, that's a first indicator of that something is is going right by a developer and secondarily quality so it's kind of a, a speed quality you know cost i'm going to assume you figured out your budget so so your budget is your budget but if somebody's taking a long time to deliver something to you if it's really good maybe but if somebody's meeting their time deadlines and the product is good and meaning good that you as the consumer the person who's paying for it is saying hey this really feels good, looks good. It's meeting my expectations. You've got a good developer right there. Yeah. Just so people know. Very cool. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being with us and taking us through the stuff you're working on and where it came from. There's a lot going on there. And if people want to know more, um, go check it out at number one law.com. Uh, that's one law.com with the number one, not the word. Um, you can see DocuBot there. You can get links to the apps. It's neat stuff. And I think what is maybe so neat about this is this is all coming out of a law firm of just nine lawyers, um, but there's sort of an extended network supporting it. So um, thanks for taking us through that, Jason, and, and helping us understand what it all is and, and uh, showing us what's possible. Hey, thank you, Sam. And uh, thanks for, for the platform you give uh, people like me and everybody out there. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast or legaltalknetwork.com. You can subscribe via iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found. Both Lawyerist and The Legal Talk Network can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and you can download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play or iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said during this podcast is legal advice.